Jose is twitching. Why are you twitching, bud? Jose, why are you twitching? You're listening to The Dollop. This is a bi-weekly, semi-weekly, twice a thing. American History Podcast. Terrible. Each week, a couple times, I read a story to my friend. Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is about. It doesn't. It's a mystery. It's... Yeah, it is a mystery. It's I don't know what it's about to be. It's a mystery. Yep. God, you want to look at a dude? I'll do one bottle. <laughs> people say this is funny? Not Gary Guerra. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. <laughs> you are Queen Fakey of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. October 6, 1973. Ooh, all right. Disco, Bee Gees, love it. A coalition of Arab states led by Egypt and Syria launched a surprise attack on Israel. Oh, boy. The fighting mostly took place in the Sinai and Golan Heights, territories that have been occupied by Israel since the Six-Day War in 1967. Just like God said. Exactly. Six days into the fighting, the U.S. began to airlift weapons to Israel. That did not sit well with the Arab OPEC countries. Why? OPEC had been created in 1960 to resist pressure from Western oil companies to reduce prices. Sorry, one more time. Say that again. OPEC had been created in 1960. To resist pressure from Western oil companies to reduce prices. Okay, gotcha. And one of those big things was, of course, the Texas Railroad Commission. Right, okay. Uh, And by 1970, OPEC had started using their power in politics. They raised the price of oil based on what? Us giving weapons to Israel. Uh Uh-huh. 70%. (laughs) Well, if you're us, come on. Nixon gave Israel $2.2 billion in emergency aid. OPEC was infuriated. All the Arab oil-producing countries announced they would embargo oil shipments to the U.S., as well as Canada, Japan, the Netherlands, and the U.K. Prices of oil went from $3 a barrel to $12 a barrel. They said they would cut oil production 5% each month until their economic and political objectives were met. Shit was on. Jose is looking at the window. Meowing. U.S. gas prices went from 38 cents in May 1973 to 55 cents in June 1974. Can you fucking believe that? (laughs) How did they live? Uh. Now, to be fair, obviously 55 cents doesn't sound like a lot. It's nothing. But it was an increase of 387% from the previous year. Well, my little brain can handle that fact. (laughs) Now I see the plight. (laughs) States asked people... Not to put up Christmas lights, you know. Or uh, that's where the that's the origins of the war on Christmas. This is the war on Christmas. Yeah. This is what this whole one is about: the war God. on Christmas. Fucking Oregon Christmas. banned Christmas lights. <laughs> strong. Yeah, seriously strong. Nixon asked gas stations not to sell gas on Saturday nights and all day Sunday. Many gas stations only sold w- w- to regular customers. What? Why? There's no gas. But with the Saturday Sunday thing, what is what is that? Why? I don't know. Okay, because that doesn't seem to really do anything. <laughs> Huge gas lines became the norm. 
People waited for an hour or more in gas lines that could be miles long. In New Jersey, lines were four miles long. <laughs> fucking Jersey. You got to burn a lot of gas waiting in that fucking line, right? too, right? Like That's you, what I always thought you, about. You, don't, you, you can't wait until you're in the orange part right. like, and go get gas. Like half a tank, you're like, well, we better fucking be safe. You get gas, and then you go to the back of the line to get more gas. Yeah. People got into fistfights in the lines. That's cool. Now, see, that I like. That I like. Fred Norris owned a gas station in Vermont. He said, quote, it was a mess. I had people threatening to whoop me. <laughs> How can I not put that in? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to whoop him. Gas started to run out. By December 1973, signs of no gas started appearing in front of gas stations. The American Automobile Which just makes them stations. Right. Then they're just a place to get peanuts. Yeah. Not as efficient. Uh, the American Automobile Association recorded that up to 20% of the country's gas stations had no fuel one week during the crisis. People could only buy gas on alternative days, depending upon whether the license plate ended with an odd or even number. What? Yeah. Uh, and you could only pump about 3 to $5 worth of gas. What if you had a vanity plate? Uh, that's a good question. I wonder if they had them back then. They had to. Well, if not, if not, it's, let's do a dollop on when the vanity plate started at some point. <laughs> Who's the psycho who was like, you know, just because you can personalize it a little bit. Be cool. Uh, the federal dentist won. Oh, God, Dennis won. Fuck. <laughs> the federal government even printed gas rationing coupons, but they were never actually used. That's Congress good. issued a 55 mile per hour speed limit on highways. Okay. It's the beginning of that. Daylight. Oh, that's when that started? Yeah. Uh, before then, no speed limits? I don't know what, but... Uh, Just best judgment? Best judgment, baby. He's eating your backpack. Yep. Daylight savings time was issued uh, year-round to reduce the use of electricity. That's going to sound good. Did you want to rub that just across the table? Or? I'm thinking about um, my backpack. Say that again, sorry. Daylight savings time was now year-round. What? Daylight savings time, so... People Every day you had to less. set your clock back an hour? No. <laughs> that gets old. I'm going to move on. <laughs> Nixon formed the Energy Department, and it developed a national energy policy. Okay. So, Americans had to change the way they lived, and that meant smaller cars. In 1973, Japan was producing small cars that were vastly superior to the small American car car makers were uh, making. The, the Japanese had already been prepared for the gas shortage, and the American car companies were not. So pretty much overnight, America stopped looking to buy Detroit's specialty, the gas guzzler, and shifted to small, gas-saving foreign cars. Okay, right. The American companies tried to crank out cars like the Chevy Vegas. The Chevy Vegas? AMC Gremlin oh. and Ford Pintos. I was going to say, I thought the Pinto was a reaction yeah. to this. But they sucked, and some of them exploded on contact. The Chevy Vegas? Yeah. What about the AMC Gremlin? How do you just let that? Like, that's a crazy name for a car. I've it's heard of the Gremlin. Gremlin. I've heard of the Gremlin. I mean, you look. With the, you know the deal with the Gremlin. You can't get it washed after midnight. It, uh, now, uh, you can't feed it gas. It, it's not Vegas. The fucking, that's word. That's oh. Word, correct. It's, uh, what was it? Chevy. Cutlass. Yep. Let's go with that. Great. Um, so the that, gremlin is a crazy name. Yeah. That meant... Because he, this is before gremlins. The actual gremlins? 
I don't well, think we have oh the movie Gremlins. Yeah, that man. If there that. were actual Gremlins, don't even. You know, you could never put water on that car, right? That's what I'm saying. You couldn't yeah. put water on that car, and you can't feed it gas after midnight. Yeah. And there's one other rule. Yeah. You can't. Don't look it in the eyes. That's it. Uh, don't make a sequel. That's what it was. <laughs> um, so people stopped buying American cars. Uh, but they still wanted American cars. They still wanted they wanted America to create a fucking car. Right. Right? Then one woman came forth who said she had the answer to America's car problem. It was a revolutionary three-wheeled automobile. Oh, God. Called the Dale. Ugh. Mrs. G. Elizabeth Carmichael was living in California. She was a mother of five, and she was going to change the automobile industry with the Dale. It was made out of what seemed like fiberglass, but Carmichael called it Reardon metal. And the- fiberglass being called metal. Well, no, it's not. It's a different. It looked like fiberglass, but it's a different kind of it's a material. All right. And the windows were made of Rigidex. Sure. Which had 70 times the impact resistance of safety glass. Okay. It had one wheel in the back and two in the front and can reach speeds up to 85 miles per hour. It's, uh, I mean, just the description, it sounds beautiful. Yeah. And thankfully, reared metal could sustain an impact against a brick wall at 50 miles an hour. Okay. Reared metal was no joke. According to Carmichael, Reardon metal was, quote, ounce for ounce, the strongest material known. Sledgehammer force won't dent or shatter the body. You better not be leading me on a path where I'm going to want one of these cars. We'll see. Okay. But, you know, it's good that most cars should be sledgehammer resistant. Yeah, for sure. The front bumpers... (laughs) Gallagher proof. (laughs) The front bumpers were made of high-density urethane foam. The car uh, uh, could also go 70 miles on just one gallon of gas. The price? Under $2,000. What? Yeah. What? Uh, The 20th Century Motors Corporation was the company building the car. Okay. Now, if you haven't heard of 20th Century Motors Corporation, I'll assume it's because you don't read Ayn Rand. Oh, God. Well, that's a fair assumption. In Atlas Shrugged, which is a libertarian jerk-off fiction uh, work, John Galt works for the auto manufacturer in Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin! The owner dies and leaves his company to his children, and his daughter convinces all the employees into voting to collectivize the company. Quote, the plan was that everybody in the factory would work according to his ability, but would be paid according to his need. Naturally, because this is a, a libertarian tale, the company quickly goes bankrupt. Right. So why not name your car company after that? Perfect, yeah. The Quite car, an homage. Yep. The car was also touted as having no wires. Now, hmm? forgive me. Go, go. Wires seem to be, they seem to have had a positive effect on the automobile. Well, yeah, maybe be better without wires. That's not a good point back. You don't think that's a good selling point? If someone's like, the wait, only- now we finally have a what you've wanted all along, a car without wires. Wireless. A wireless car. We are having wireless cars now, but it has a different meaning. But you need wires because mm-hmm. of you? many things. Do you need wires? I'm going to go ahead and say you do need wires. 
Nope. It had a printed circuit dashboard instead. I didn't know that. You don't need it if you have a printed circuit dashboard. The material, uh, the framework of the car was made from, claimed to be, uh, oh, I already did that. Uh, okay, so so they basically described the, the, the Dale as indestructible, right? Okay. Liz also said it was scratch-proof, burglar-proof, and bulletproof. I mean, lead with bulletproof, obviously. Right? Yeah. Like, that would be the first That's thing That's the first one. <laughs> Burglar-proof? Liz said she had personally driven into a brick wall at 30 miles per hour, per hour and walked away unscathed. Well, you want someone who's willing to just do testing like that at the I helm. And hit the wall. Yeah. Hit it hard. Yeah. Let's see what the rear metal can do. Listen, that's you faith know. in your product. You know what I'm talking Now, about. you run at 30 miles an hour into a burglar with a gun, and you walk away? Hello. I'm buying. The Dale. Thank you. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. But Elizabeth Carmichael herself was a mystery. She seemed to have just come from out of nowhere. She said she was the daughter of a farmer, and she had grown up tinkering with tractors and farm trucks from the day she could hold a wrench. So that's about age two, I'd guess. Liz, she said uh, that uh, if uh, a farmer didn't have a boy, they would turn their girl into a boy. You know what I'm saying? Don't, don't, don't wake. Liz then went on to get a degree in mechanical engineering at Ohio State University and then a master's in business administration for the University of Miami in Florida. Okay. She'd like to be called Liz. Cool. Liz was a widow with five kids. Her husband, Jim Carmichael, had been a structural engineer for NASA working on the space shuttle program. He had come up with a car design before he died and then incorporated the company, and then she incorporated the company in Nevada and was now opening other offices in Dallas and near Los Angeles. Okay. A full-scale model was on display in Encino, California, in the office there. Okay. Encino. Yeah? What? Liz offered security and stock options to investors. But the California Securities Commission put the kibosh on selling stock. It turns out the company did not have a license to sell stock in the state. Okay. So, so that doesn't problem. It just doesn't sound like it's on the up and up. What are you talking about? It doesn't sound like it's on the up and up. It can you can hit it in, in a brick wall going thirty. Or 50 right. Or Still, there's some. And it's bulletproof. Right. And three wheels. It, Seventy miles on a tank. I'm starting to worry about this automobile. It didn't stop Liz. She kept pushing the car in the media and taking orders for the car from interested customers. This is exactly what America was looking for. With each order, customer had to put down a deposit. This is such a scam. What? She's just the fucking scammer. The car would be delivered in the, in the fall of 1975. And Liz could sell. She was rather charismatic and very large. She stood six feet tall and was, uh, weighed 200 pounds. All righty. Well, I would be like, sure, yes. It's a big lady. Yes. Liz was a good speaker and knew how to persuade people into giving. She built a few prototypes. One of them was capable of driving, and another non-functioning one was brought to the 1975 Los Angeles Auto Show. Well, it shouldn't be at an auto show because it's just the shell. Yeah, but this is what – sometimes they do that. They go, this is what the car of the future is going to look like, and then they put that up there. Okay. Liz also sold dealerships on the car, all without a manufacturer's license. So, wait, this is not going in the right order. If It's all fine. It, no. You have one functioning car, and now you have dealerships? 
Well, she's setting him up, yeah. She's, a little premature, right? Well, no, everything's getting ready. A little premature. Everything's getting ready for little the big... A little premature. For the big... It's like franchising a restaurant before you've cooked a burger. You want a launch. You want a big launch. I agreed, but... And launch it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but you need a rocket. Well, I mean... Blah, to blah, launch. Blah, 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 blah. That's well, you. That's no, your that's not semantics. This is real. Uh... In 1974 in Texas, uh, Dale had the first prototype built. It was taken out for a test drive. Then they took it apart to look for any problems. Engineer John McGinnis worked on the Dale and said it was the real deal. He had also the real come, Dale. Come on. He'd also come from NASA. So, okay. Like her husband. Yeah. He returned some of his salary when finances became a problem and uh, 20th uh, car company needed some cash. He just wanted to keep the Dale alive as a possibility. Okay. So that's, you know, the people believe in it. The people working on it believe in this car. Do Why they? can't you? Okay. I'm suspicious. And the media did jump on the story of the amazing car. People Magazine wrote an article on Liz and what she thought would happen with her car of the future. Trade magazines all over the world wrote up articles about the amazing new car and other cars the 20th Century Motor Car Company was planning, like the Vanagon. The van again? A three-wheeled van. The van again. The van again. <laughs> Sounds like a curse. It's a three-wheeled van. A three-wheeled van? A van again. Just when you thought like a three-wheeled car couldn't sound any dumber, you right. made it a van. Fits eight. A three-wheeled... And it's two wheels up front and one in the back? Fits eight people comfortably. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Just... So I just I see so, this. Who doesn't want a three-wheeled van? I think people It's the future. Who, it's, I see tipping. You I see a lot of tipping. this car needs less wheels. I don't know. I'm starting to worry about the wheel factor now. Come on. It's like you've never driven a three-wheeled car. I've never driven a three-wheeled a car. car. I, the only time I've done that is when I've had a flat. In January 1975, one of the company's salesmen, William D. Miller, was found murdered in, in the Encino office. He had been shot four times in the head. Could have been an accident. Yep. Police quickly zeroed in on a suspect who happened to be a fellow employee named Jack Oliver. Okay. It was then discovered Oliver and Miller knew each other from their time together in San Quentin Prison. This is not good. This, what do you mean? The facts are starting to leak out a little bit now. <laughs> so these two con- ex-convicts. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. I want to buy their car. Now... The local L.A. media was on the trail. They started looking into Liz, the car company, and the car itself. They all realized something was amiss. Really, David? Fraud investigators started looking into whether or not the Dale was actually being planned for production. Television reporters were doing stories, and newspapers began printing articles about whether or not the Dale was a viable car. Okay. This caused all the investors and customers who had put down deposits to become a bit worried. Why? They barraged the company with phone calls, and then the phones were disconnected. That's how you deal with it. <laughs> hey, we're getting a lot of calls. Go ahead and shut You're down. getting a lot of complaints. Go ahead and shut down. Get cut the cord. Let's shut down. Let's, let's make the building wireless, too. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Yeah, we're good. Well, then they closed the Encino office. Uh, yeah, okay. Shock. I'm shocked. I'm shocked at these turns. Liz took off for Texas. And there she set up the company again, renaming the Dale the Revet. She's like the monorail salesman from The Simpsons. (laughs) She's off to Shelbyville. Even though the car looked exactly the same, 
And even with the law investigating, she just pushed full bore ahead. Good. What was the new one called? The Irvet? The Rivet. Rivet? Rivet? Sure. Rivet. She promoted the Rivet the same as she did the Dale. In spring 1975, she got it on The Price is Right in a showcase showdown. Oh, my God. What? How the <laughs> fuck does that even happen? How? What? I don't know. <laughs> what a man to hear like Rod Roddy be like, and a weird car. <laughs> but the contestant couldn't guess the car's price. Uh, why? Yeah, I don't know. She was like, uh, it looks like it fell from space. Yeah, what the fuck is that? A uh, dollar. No, wait, a million. Uh. But the end was near. An engineer who worked on the Vanagon, the three-wheeled station wagon, or van, I mean, became a whistleblower and testified that the company could not actually produce a car <laughs> And the California Superior Court ordered an injunction. So, no more selling of anything. The San Gabriel Union described Liz as a six-foot-tall, tough-talking widow who had never disclosed her maiden name. Hmm. At this point, the California Corporation Commission didn't know how many people had invested, but one investigator said, I'm afraid a lot of people are going to lose a hell of a lot of money. It's, it's amazing to have a pyramid scheme and a pyramid car. <laughs> Turns out the amount of money she had hauled in was $30 million. Oh, sweet bastard. <laughs> She's great. Bill Hall, an investigator for the California Department of Motor Vehicles, went poking around looking at the warehouses where Liz said the cars were being built. Uh, yeah, they're right behind these doors, boys. Just go ahead and go on in there. Wall-to-wall, three-wheeled beauties. Quote, I went to this airport. Upon entering, I discovered the hangars were absolutely empty. No tools, no machinery, nothing but a little dirt on the floor. That's because they're invisible right they're, now. Right now, they're in their cloaked. I've got them in their cloaks. They had rented this for only one month, and now the rent had expired, so they actually did not have a factory that they were representing that they had. So their their fake factory shut down? Yeah, the not real factory. The they pretend had. factory. Yeah, so they got a they they bought a place to say they had a factory, but they, they were couldn't doing even keep their imaginary factory open. No, the fake factory closed. Right. At that point, LA County DA had enough evidence to make an arrest on grand theft charges. For Grand all, Theft Sorta Auto. For all the money they were taking from people. Okay, so right. right. The company record showed a lot of cash transactions, but Liz could smell it, and she bolted from her home with dinner on the table and left, quote, a device used by female impersonators to disguise their sex. She left a dick on the dinner table? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought when I read that. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Wait a fucking minute. Wait, how weird is this about to get? I don't know. Weird? Is it about to get real weird? Yeah. Are we about to find out that this linebacker lady is her dead fucking husband? <laughs> Bill Hall then went to the Dale Research and Development Lab armed with It a looks like they wall. were eating dick for dinner, yeah, sir. My God, there's a dick on the table. <laughs> Quote, on inspection of this vehicle, it was not a viable vehicle at all. It had no engine. Two by fours were holding up the rear wheel. The accelerator was just sitting on the floor. It wasn't even attached. The windows were not safety glass. They would just bend back and forth. The doors were put on by regular door hinges, like one might find <laughs> on a house door. door hinges? On a house door. It's just not what you need. 
The vehicle just absolutely did not exist. Liz wasn't on the lam long. Uh, in April 1975, Elizabeth Carmichael was taken into custody. The case dragged on for a couple of years. While it was moving through the courts, it was revealed Geraldine Elizabeth Carmichael was an alias. Liz was born as Jerry Dean Michael. Get the fuck out. Which is a uh, guy's name. Yeah. Liz was a man but began dressing as a woman after becoming a fugitive when federal authorities came after him on counterfeiting charges in 1961. So you just counterfeit your genitals. That's the next That's move. That's the thing. You, yeah, fake, fake genitals. Wow. And it turned out he enjoyed uh, being a woman, and now he was a she. <laughs> oh, my God. What? <laughs> I mean, if you, like, if you gave money to this car company, you're like, I'm not telling anyone. And in the trial, it was also revealed the car was not as described. The bumpers were made of black vinyl covered pieces of wood. The frame was just square tubing. Body was fiberglass. Uh, the body of the only running model was chipped and scratched. Inside was a two-cylinder motor, which turned out to be taken from a BMW motorcycle. <laughs> That's going to make costs go through the roof. <laughs> but somehow there were a bunch of engineers like John McGinnis who believed in the car so much they gave up part of their salaries to continue working on it. It's like Scientology it's of cars. so fucked up. That guy couldn't have been real. So wait, real quick, just to go back, the apparatus was just like underwears that would just like sleeve the cock or something. So what? What? I don't know. Why just leave it on the table? Get any of that? That's such a great move. (laughs) I mean, when you find those, you're like, "What the fuck is going on here?" We got cars aren't cars. We got women are men. We got a bigger problem than the car, gentlemen. We have a dick on the table. We got a dick out here. Eventually, the case went to trial, and Liz was found guilty or. Jerry, whatever, Liz, Liz was found guilty on 29 counts of grand theft, three counts of corporate security fraud, and one count of conspiracy. She was given two consecutive sentences of 10 years and a $30,000 fine. She filed an appeal and then jumped bail. Oh, wow. And was gone. Well, what? In 1989. Oh, snap, David. 14 years later. The NBC show Unsolved Mysteries ran a story about the Dale and Elizabeth Carmichael. God, to see that reenactment. Oh, fuck. Ugh. That show led to tips from all over the country, with led, which led to authorities finding her location. She was selling flowers on the side of the road in Texas. Oh, my God. Actually, she wasn't selling them. She would buy them wholesale, and then she had her five kids out in the road selling them. Smart. Outsource. Her five kids, it was learned, she had had when she was married to Vivian Barrett. Well, she didn't have them because she was a man. Because it hurts to push a baby out of your penis. Vivian had the babies. Right. And then while Vivian worked with Liz at 20th Car Company, Uh Liz would always introduce Vivian as her secretary. Uh Uh-huh. Vivian then died just before all the legal trouble started with the 20th Car Company. Uh, from what? Although Vivian was actually named in the criminal indictments. I couldn't figure out, figure out what she died of. Poison. So Liz was found living just outside of Austin, Texas because of this unsolved mysteries. Right. Thing. She was using the name Catherine Elizabeth Brown, and the town she was living in was named Dale. <laughs> oh, God. So she took the name of the car from the town, and she changed her last name from Michael to Carmichael. She literally then, just added car? And then... 
I'm gonna make a car. I'm Carmichael. <laughs> Just car fraud all over this. It's fucking amazing. She told People Magazine that she had had a sex change. Liz was extradited to Los Angeles and served 10 years in prison. How is she still serving 10 years after all this? To like, <laughs> 10 years. We finally caught up with you. <laughs> it's just... In 1989, the Dale prototype was bought by Gordon Chamberlain of Glendale, California. The Dale was uh, uh, just made up of parts of other cars. There was parts of BMWs, Chevrolets, AMCs, Fords. They were all in there. And the Dale can now be seen at the Peterson Automobile Museum in Los Angeles. I saw it, and no. I didn't know what it was at the time. <laughs> I think that's I how was, everyone felt. I was like, just look at this fucking thing. It's like stupid. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Today, Liz is out of prison and is running a successful roadside flower selling business in Austin, Texas. What? So we could just go buy flowers from... Yeah. Herm? Because it's fucking bad shit crazy. But is... So she is... So the disguise of being a woman eventually became her preferential gender. Yes. So... It and now sounds, she has had a sex change. Well, it sounds like... Okay, so she... she he was charged with counterfeiting and then decided to change his identity, probably already with yearnings to be a woman. Right. So just switched and then was a woman, but his wife stayed with him. Right. And so then they were together as a secretary boss. Tandem. Female tandem. Yeah. Yeah. And then she came up with all this shit about this car, which was never going to, I always scans like this. I'm always like, it's not going to go on very long. Like you're, it's so. What's your it was, end game? It was so public. Your Enron. There is no end game. Yeah. You're just. You're going to be fucked yeah. at the end of it. Yes. Like there's no. Well, because you're not putting any work into it. The no. whole thing is a scam. You can't even keep your fake factory doors open for a little while. I mean, the fact that they had hinges from actual doors that you find in your house. It's like the Danish girl with a fiberglass car. <laughs> Tell you what, though. I'd sign that fucking car. We're signing cars! <laughs> hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy. The Gareth Army to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, 
Dublin, September 17th. And September 19th, Manchester. Birmingham, September 20th. Bristol, September 22nd. And Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there.